nice to see you uh, early risers today. They, they call this spring ahead, but I feel like I'm falling backwards. How is that? Good morning. My name is Randy. And, uh, one of the teaching team and uh, a little bit more back with you than I, I was for the last year and a half and I'm excited to be so. We're now at uh, week four of our series, The Good and Beautiful Community, being the community of Jesus, a series on sharing the life of Jesus with others. And three weeks ago, I introduced the series by talking about us being a weird people, I mean a peculiar people. Um, Because we live under the rule and reign of a peculiar God, we therefore have values and lives that are somewhat otherly or peculiar. Kevin then spoke two weeks ago about our being a people of hope, not wishful thinking about something good that might happen, but hope in the resurrection and hope for restoration. And then last week, Claire talked about us being a people who serve God and others. And this week, I'm going to talk about our being a people who are Christ-centered with a particular emphasis on how that works itself out in our relationships. One of my favorite passages is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And um, I was looking it up to share it in an email with somebody, and I found a, uh, a personalized paraphrase, and I went, wow, did I really write that? It's really good. Uh, why don't you read this with me? Claire likes doing that. I think that would be fun. And I'll go slow so you can stay with me. So run on in the race set before you, knowing that you are surrounded by a crowd of believers who are cheering you on. Don't let anything get in your way. Throw aside anything and everything that is hindering you from winning your race. Don't get tripped up by the things of this world. Rather, press on, be steady, and don't take your eyes off Jesus, who is just in front of you. Remember, he is pacing you and has already been through this before. He knows the way and will lead you to the Father. Perhaps the most, as much as I like all of it, perhaps the most significant passage for me or part of this are the words, don't take your eyes off Jesus. And as awesome as those words are, they're a little odd because we can't see Jesus. And yet we're told to fix our eyes on him. Jesus even spoke about the eyes and hearing and he said, he who has eyes to see and ears to hear. And there is outside of our natural realm, our physiological and normal world that we're familiar with, another realm, a rule and a reign of God. And there God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and a great cloud of witnesses are gathered. And I don't know what your, you know, theology, philosophy, worldview is related to, you know, the afterlife. We all have different kinds of things. It's probably a normal thing that we most of us think about. But, you know, related to going to be with Jesus, you know, today, he told the thief, you'll be with me in paradise. 
heaven. Not quite sure. It's not real, real clear. However, for me, I have this sense that those who have gone on ahead have already awakened in the future of heaven with God. And they're watching us too. And I get that from this passage. It's not horrifically theologically sound and clear, but it, 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 it encourages me. And the picture I have is that every one of us have been given a race to run for God. A, a course. Sometimes there's obstacles in the course. Sometimes it's a, a triathlon and we've got to swim through things. And sometimes we need to get on our bike and ride it or our motorcycle. Sometimes there's obstacles in front of us that appear unmovable. And yet, we're encouraged to journey on. And the really cool thing is we don't do it alone. We have, one, this audience, this great cloud of witnesses, including Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And they're all in the stands. And they're calling your name. And they're cheering you. Go, go. And then there's a community, a people, the body of Christ. You know, it'd be a little hard for a heart to live without the rest of the body. It wouldn't go plump plump. Plus, there wouldn't be any blood to go plump plump for. Uh, the ears would be really lonely without a brain to send the signals. Our society, our culture teaches us, do it on your own. You can do it. The individual way. It's not true. It's not true. We are not created. We're not created by God to be alone. We're created to partner with God and with others. The idea of this statement, don't take your eyes off Jesus, is that we need to always have in our mind, in our spiritual sight, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We need to be thoughtful and reflective. How does that impact what I need to do today and what I need to say? How does that impact and affect the relationships that I have around me? On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for all our sin, all our selfish pursuits. And that's really good news. And it's a really big relief. But you know, there's something else that's also good news. And really, a huge relief as well. And that is to know that on the cross, Jesus also paid the penalty for the sin and harm that others have done to me. For somehow, it's, it's a little easier to lay hold of this good news that he's forgiven my sins. Not quite as easy to say he's forgiven the sins of them who've hurt me. And there's a tendency to cling to those things. And yet the cross is for both. I think we all know the truth that when we hold bitterness and unforgiveness, it, it, usually, it does little to the other person. It just harms us. It keeps on harming us. Numerous verses, including 
in the Lord's Prayer. Encourage us to forgive as we have been forgiven. Hurt and pain in relationships is not only inevitable, sadly, it's normal. Well, normal in the sense that it happens frequently and regularly. Not normal in that that's the way it's supposed to be. And if we do not remember to view these things with Jesus and the cross in mind, maintaining Christ at the center of our relationships, we can get stuck not being able to advance and grow as God would have us. This also is the second week of our annual church fast, Claire. Did you mention that? You did. I was not listening during the announcement. So you all know about that. So week two of that. Before we head into the heart of our material today, let's pray. Papa, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the significance and meaning that it brings not only for the forgiveness of our sins, which we really like, but it also means the forgiveness of the sins of those who have harmed us and sinned against us. And I ask, Holy Spirit, where any of us are stuck today, still, in any of these relational ways, that you would come and deliver us. There's work that you have for us to do. And while we're clogged and stuck, it's hard to partner. Come, Holy Spirit. You are the only one that can heal and mend, free and deliver. Come, Jesus. In his name, amen. So I'm going to be talking about transforming our relationships as a part of this element of being Christ-focused. Two weeks ago, I read numerous verses from 1 John chapter 4 a few of which I would like to read again. John, of course, the beloved, the one who laid his head upon the bosom of Jesus' chest during the Passover Seder, the one who was with Jesus in the garden and many other times, says, Beloved, let us love one another Because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to have love for one another. You know, we talk a lot about our need to love others, perhaps more than any other topic. And we have an expectation that our homes and our our church would be environments that are full of love and devoid of strife. The reality, however, is that most churches, many churches perhaps, many Christian homes, are full of strife. 
and sometimes feel like they're devoid of love. Let me say that again. While we may teach in the church about love more than any other topic, and while we have an expectation or at least a hope that our homes and church would be environments that are full of love and devoid of strife, the reality is that many churches and many Christian homes are full of strife and often feel they're devoid of love. As a teacher in the church, I want to take responsibility for some of that. I think that too often our teaching sounds like you should love better and more without providing along with that training as to how do you do it. One of the books I've been reading and sort of rereading sections going back, going forward over the last year or so is a book by Dallas Willard called Renovation of the Heart. Um, not an easy read. <laughs> Kevin said to me yesterday, you know, Dallas is really thick. <laughs> but I'm finding it tremendously resourceful. It's a book about the challenges and means for change and transformation. And it's been for me also a book about how to see change happen. And one of the chapters is on transforming our relationships or what he calls our social context. And while I would highly recommend and hope that you would all read this book, the reality is that few of you will. And that's okay. So I'm going to share with you, not out of my great wisdom and study and understanding this morning on this topic, I'm going to share with you out of Dallas's. Wisdom and understanding that came out of extensive study and time with God. I'm using essentially the outline of that chapter and some of his quotes and then filling in with hopefully helpful comments that help us to grasp what he's saying. So I want to talk about a number of elements about what the Bible says about relationships, things that are true about relationships. Firstly, and you've heard us say this whole lots of times from this pulpit, we have been created for relationship. We have been created for relationship. It's in our DNA. The book of Genesis tells us that humankind was created in the image of God. And one of those key elements of that image of God is that we have been created and designed to experience and express loving community. God himself is a community of love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not only is there love and being loved, as between two people, but there is also shared love for another, a third person. And one of the primary reasons that God created humankind, in my opinion, was to expand the Trinity's community of love. The Trinity didn't need more people to love. But love needs people to love. Right? Love can't really love if, it is, if there isn't an object of love. 
And if you've got two already, wouldn't a whole bunch more be really cool? So at some point along the way, Father says to Jesus, and Holy Spirit nods his head, I, I, I think it'd be kind of cool if we kind of get a few more of us to love. Every human being that's born has been created for and been invited into the whole and complete teleos community of the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And friends, that is awesome news. (laughs) Can't hang out with any more loving people than them three. Can't learn about love any more from anybody else any better than them. A community of love is formed not by the reciprocal love of two people for one another. That's exclusive. But community of love is formed by the shared love for another, which then becomes inclusive. The life of human beings is one of relatedness to others. We're born of relations and into relation. It's in our DNA. It is our destiny to be in loving community with God and others. Secondly, we have been created for reciprocal care or mutual relationships. Human beings, Willard says, have been designed for reciprocal rootedness in others. Not only are we designed with the need for community, but we are designed with the need for assurance of others being for us. His words and mine. God is for us. And we have been created a part of our genetic... Our our being is the fact that we have been created to need others to be for us. And this need for assurance of others being for us is a condition for stable, healthy living. When that required type of forness is adequately present, human circles of sufficiency emerge. The trinity of marriage. You all know marriage is a trinity, right? Husband, wife, and God. The family. Mother, father, child, children. Friendships, clans, churches, tribes, towns, cities, denominations, on and on. But as profoundly beautiful as these circles of sufficiency can be and are supposed to be, they are also profoundly fragile and susceptible to selfishness over weakness, to sabotage over protection. And so we see another element about community, and that is the wounding of rejection. In the broken state of humankind since the fall, the assurance of others being for us has greatly been replaced with the destructive force of rejection. Think about the story of the two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Cain was jealous of what his brother had. He experienced what he saw as rejection, and the outcome was the first human murder. Cain slaying his brother Abel. There's probably not a human being who does not know a great deal about being rejected, being left out, 
We're just not received, not welcome, not acceptable. I was introduced to sports as a kid in, in school. was taller than a lot of the other boys, and so I was playing basketball some. I was the starter on the B team in fifth and sixth grade. Um, I uh, was a pole vaulter. I had an bro- older brother that was a pole vaulter, and so he, we got some sticks out and got a couple of mattresses and threw a couple bars up, and we'd practice in our front yard. We dug a hole in the front yard for the box. And later on, I built a tree house, and I would swing down and land on the mattresses. I, for a while, I gave up pole vaulting at you know age 10 until I got older. But anyway, I, I, uh, in, in uh, junior high, middle school, I, I lettered. I'm stumbling because I was trying, <laughs> trying to remember those words. What did I? I lettered. Yeah, that's right. I lettered in track. And so that was part of the Letterman's Club, this elite group of, of other boys, most of whom, of course, were the, the, the real athletes. You know, I was a pole vaulter, and pole vaulter in June, middle school was a sawdust pit, not much different than our mattresses. In fact, I think our mattresses were softer than the sawdust pit. Anyway, never mind, I'm not going to tell many, too many stories. But anyway, so here's this, you're all, you're all going to go, oh, in just a minute. So, so we raised funds throughout my ninth grade year raising funds to be able to go to Disneyland. This is Southern California. And um, did all that, participated with all guys. And then the kind of the goal was to, you know, invite a girl to go with you to Disneyland. There was going to be a bus that was going to take us all there. I asked two or three girls and was turned down by all of them and ended up going to Disneyland and walking around and riding the rides alone. Rejection, aloneness, the tragedy of our world, real honestly, as we laugh at it now. When we think about the need for transforming our relationships, we have to realize and keep in mind that we are all wounded and broken. And as a result, we're all a bit like the wounded animal caught in a trap that's ready to strike out and bite the hand attempting to set us free. The wounding of rejection. Dallas has an interesting presentation here in this next section. He suggests that there are two basic forms of evil in human relations. And I don't quite know where or how in his studies that he came up with this, but these two are for sure huge, might be the two most basic. He suggests that the two basic forms of evil in human relations is assault or attack and withdrawal or distancing. And so common are these in human relations that most of us hardly notice or get uncomfortable when they happen or when we do them. Imagine if you can with me, newlyweds sitting eating dinner. All of a sudden, one of them jumps out of their chair, grabs their steak knife and presses it against their spouse's chest with glaring in their face and anger and outrage on their on their lips. And the other one grabs their steak knife and they press it up into the chest of their spouse, glaring back with anger and outrage. Okay, so you can't imagine that. I can. I know me. 
Okay. All right. little easier. Imagine with me new, newlyweds sitting, eating dinner. And the husband says to his beautiful young bride, this meatloaf is terrible. My mother made better meatloaf than this when she was ten. And the young bride spits back at her young husband. Yeah, well, my father brought home a better paycheck than you do when he was ten. All right, so grabbing steak knives and pressing them against one another's person's chest is just too much. But cutting words, you know, kind of the norm. In fact, we have a kind of humor called sarcasm that we use in playfulness all the time. You really suck. I'm just kidding. I just really love you. Cutting words are the norm in American homes and in our Christian homes. Imagine with me now that same couple. They're still together a couple years later. I don't know how, but somehow they made it. And the husband walks in from work through the kitchen, uh, through the garage. And he says, hey, honey, what's for dinner? And she says, whatever you want, dear, and fix it yourself. Okay. The husband looks at her, turns around, walks back into the garage, gets into his car and drives off to hang out with his buddies. Is that really that unfamiliar to our homes? No knives in this one, but just as painful and wounding. Dr. Willard suggests that we assault others when we act against what is good for them. And we withdraw from someone when we disregard their well-being. And while assault and withdrawal might happen with strangers or acquaintances, they'll be most fierce with those closest to us. Is it not true that people will often be nicer to a stranger than to a loved one? What's up with that? Dr. Willard says, we always distance ourselves from those we assault and withdrawal, including threats or suggestions thereof, is nearly always a way of assaulting those we withdraw from. I would add, assault and withdrawal are the natural outcomes of the conflicts between two or more people's personal realms or kingdoms. I want the world, and particularly my world, that which revolves around me, to be the way I want it. And when it's not, you're going to hear or get something from me which might include attack or withdrawal. But you also want the world, and particularly your world, that which revolves around you, to be the way you want it. And when it's not, I'm going to hear 
or get something from you, which might include attack or withdrawal. Back in January, when I was still uh, working up in Austin during the week, uh, Claire and I had a particularly full weekend. We had not had any real time to talk or connect. And on Sunday night, we were finally you know, kind of settling down, getting ready for bed, and, and, and Claire was trying to share with me some things that were going on in the family that honestly made me kind of mad. Not with Clara, but with that situation. I looked at the clock and I said, Honey, I really need to get to sleep. I have to get up early. I need to drive to Austin in the morning, which was very true. But bottom line, besides being upset with the conversation, I being the male that I am, had wanted to connect intimately that weekend. And I figured out that wasn't going to happen. So I withdrew, I rolled over, and tried to go to sleep. On, I'm not sleeping on the wood anymore. I, I moved over into the crack between the wood and the bed. Those of you who've been around know what I'm talking about. We have a water bed, water bed surrounded by wood frame. I used to sleep on the wood frame when we were having challenges. But I've gotten healed up quite a bit, and I'm in the crack now. Bad enough, the next morning... Clara got up at the same time I did, which kind of conflicted with the world being the way I wanted it so that I could quickly and easily get out of the house. And she engaged me in conversation about how I withdrew the night before and how that had hurt her. That I needed to be more sensitive and prioritizing time for us to be able to share and talk. And I felt blamed and attacked for us not having had time over that busy weekend to talk and connect, which was at least as much her fault as mine, or yours for that matter. <laughs> Being grumpy that I had not gotten what I wanted the night before and feeling the pressure of needing to leave for Austin, I attacked, spewed irritation and unkind words. Clara was in the closet. She physically stepped backwards in an attempt to withdraw because she couldn't do anything else. I was standing in the closet doorway. A little uncomfortable for her. Then I turned around, got my stuff together, and left for Austin. An absolute, horrific, hurtful, self-focused mess. Just two months ago. That drive to Austin that day felt like one of the worst in my whole life. I, I called Clara that evening. I made an effort to try and talk, and she ended up ending the conversation. Hello? Hello? To keep from continuing to get hurt. The next morning during my devotions, yes, I had devotions the next day, really good devotions, as a matter of fact. And during that time of connecting with God, I was moved with grief and sadness at how I had hurt her. And I sent her this text. And I saved it so that I could share it with you someday. And I share it with you so that you, you I, I think most of you know I'm like you. We're just all in this together. I'm not some superhero. I know some of you would like a super pastor, and Claire does that pretty well. I don't. She's much more loving and caring and pastoral. I'm task and administrative, and some of you have learned to just put up with Randy. I'm working on it. We've talked about it. You know, she may be my boss soon, and so I may have to figure out how to, 
how to do it the way she does it. But anyway, I share this all with you to say we're all struggling with this stuff. But what are we doing about it? Are we taking any initiative to deal with the crap in us so that we can better love those around us? I wrote this in my text to her. Thank you for your prayers and love. She had mentioned in our phone call that that's how she opened the phone call, not how I opened it the night before. Yesterday during the day, I was reminded of the painful time and emotions we had experienced when we broke up while we were dating. And then the joy of our engagement. Wow. I hurt you so bad. I was such a jerk. I'm so sorry for hurting you then and this weekend and for being such a selfish jerk then and this weekend. Would you please forgive me and allow me to continue to grow in loving you as you deserve? I'm so sorry. I really, really appreciate you in my life and would be so, so, so alone without you. With all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul and with all my body, I want to do a better job of loving you and caring for you. You're continuing to grow and change, jerk of a husband, Randy. My heart is yours and God's. She texted me back. You're the best person that has happened to me. Really? The guy who did that on Sunday night and Monday morning? Sad for you. It's the best you got. You're the best person that has happened to me, second only to Christ. So you are not perfect. Neither am I. So therefore, we're perfect for each other. (laughs) Thank you for your tender heart. It's one of the many character traits I admire about you. I pray you find his peace in your heart. I'm here for the long haul. I love you. We have been created for relationship. We have been created for reciprocal, caring, mutually affirming, loving relationships. And it takes two. But you know what? God has proved that if one will love, the other one will come around if they really get they're being loved. And so when marriages are in trouble, when relationships are in trouble, if one of them will step up and be a man or a woman and love. Selflessly, fully. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about um, acceptable physical abuse or any other kind of abuse. But where the normal, normal American family, Christian home attack and withdrawal is happening, Usually somebody's going to have to welcome the power of God to heal and mend and to love. And that essentially is what Willard suggests in the next point. The need for transformation needs to begin with me. 
Dr. Willard says, to heal the open sore of our relational existence, there is no doubt that we must start with the marriage relationship or more inclusively with how men and women are together in our world. If that relationship is wrong in its many dimensions, all who come through it will be seriously damaged. We all know that the most central human community is the family. Whether you are married or not as an adult, you are the product of a family. How we were raised greatly, significantly impacts the health of our own social relationships, whether we marry or not, which impacts our social relationships around us at school, work, church, and friendships. If we do marry, the health of that relationship will greatly impact the social health of any children from that marriage and potentially generations and even society to come. And I would highly encourage you, don't get hung up trying to change those in your family or at work or the world around you. Start at home. Start with working towards change in your own life. The rest may well come. Get that accomplished and you'll be on the path to helping others around you and maybe even as a result, generations and society to come. And if you're not married or you never marry, you're not exempt from all this. You too have lots of opportunities for helping and impacting the lives of others. But you too need to start at home and start with working towards change in your own life. Get that accomplished. And you too will be on the path to helping others around you and maybe even as a result, generations in society to come. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The Apostle Paul said, and I paraphrase, from Philippians chapter 2, don't make life all about you, demanding everything to be the way you want it. Instead, think about others as more important than yourselves and figure out how to make life better for them. This is the way Jesus thought and lived, and so should we. Not to leave you alone with go and fix yourself and love others better, Dr. Willard very nicely provides Uh, a plan, some thoughts and ideas for transformation of our relationships, which I've added to a bit and I would like to share with you. So here we find a plan for transformation of our relationships. And prayer probably would be, should be on the list and it isn't, but uh, I was reminded of that one by looking at that picture. We all need to work on this. Number one, he suggests fix your eyes on Jesus or... Perhaps that one's coming from me. We started today with the statement that we are to be a Christ-focused community. And the only way we can be that as a church community is if we are Christ-focused people. Every day, not just on Sunday, maybe every moment of every day, we need to remember and reflect on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, considering, as I suggested earlier, how does that impact what I'm going to say and do today and the relationships around me? 
On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin and selfish pursuits and He paid the penalty for all the sins and selfishness committed against us. Only in Jesus and through His life, death and resurrection, can we hope for healing and change for ourselves, for our relationships and our loved ones. Secondly, receive and live in the love of God for you. We've all experienced a lot of rejection and hurt. We've all taken on an awful lot of self-degradation. And what we need beyond almost any kind of counseling or therapy would be to know and experience the love of God for us. We know need to go beyond the understanding that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin to receiving and living in the love, forgiveness, mercy, and power of God. John 3.16 says, For God so loved that He sent His only Son. It does not say, For God was so mad that He sent His only Son. That is not John 3.16. Jesus, in a description at one point, trying to contrast what we experience in the world and what he provides and offers to us, says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you all and all human beings might have life, true life, in all its fullness. Receiving Experiencing and living in God's love for you is the only way that you'll be able to be released from the hurts and pains and be able to extend love, forgiveness, and mercy, which will only be accomplished through the power of God to others. A third suggestion for something to work on is to embrace the healing and wholeness that God offers As a result of the fallenness of humankind, we are broken people. We live and relate to broken people. We live in a broken world, in a broken society. But the cross of Christ and His resurrection power provide to us healing, new life, wholeness. Three passages, two from Romans, one from... 2 Corinthians. Therefore I have been buried with Christ by baptism into His death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so I too might walk in the newness of life. But now by dying to once what bound me, I have been released from the law and my brokenness so that I would live free according to the new life of the Spirit. And as I am now in Christ, I am a new creation. The old life is gone, the new life has come. And perhaps a passage that more clearly than any other describes what our response should be and what God intends the desired outcome to be related to our difficulties, James 1, verses 2 and 4. Brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials or temptations, difficulties of any kind, 
Consider them nothing but joy. Really? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full and complete effect so that you may be whole and complete, lacking in nothing, even as God is whole and complete, lacking in nothing. Jesus said, be ye teleos, as I am teleos. The words translated in all of our translations, perfect. And we all say, yeah, right. Be perfect like Jesus is perfect. Yeah, right. But the word's not perfect. I mean, it maybe have meant perfect, maybe at some day in some world other than now. The word's wholeness, completeness, finished. God's design for us as human beings is to be like him, whole, no longer broken. We live as pieces of people. We live with our own beings ripped apart, torn into a sundry parts. And Jesus has come to bring that all together to mend it all, to bring it into oneness and wholeness and completeness. The only way we can view difficulties and trials and temptations of any kind in the way that he's describing here is by knowing and believing that there is not any situation that God will not work all things together for good for those who love him who are called according to his purpose. And as we embrace the challenges of life with these perspectives and mindsets, we will be healed and made whole. We will become those who are able to work with God toward the healing and wholeness of others. Fourth one he talks about is abandoned defensiveness. And uh, Terry, I'm going to sweep through that. It's good material, but don't have time. And then the fifth one he describes is extend genuine love and service to others. When we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, living from his completed work on the cross, when we're living in the place of welcoming and embracing the power of his resurrection, having experienced and now living from the place of God's love for us, no longer living from and carrying the burden of our own brokenness, having abandoned defensiveness, acting in humility, and having having cultivated a tender heart, and living from the resources of our new life in the Spirit, we can devote our lives to the service of others. And this becomes the outward expression of true redemption and restoration. It's now going beyond just a matter of not attacking and not withdrawing, but like Christ, to regularly no longer live from that place of wanting the world to be the way I want it and being chiefly focused in blessing those around us, beginning with our families, our friends, and church community, but moving outward from there to all those whom we have contact with. And Dr. Willard closes 
with a passage from Romans 1, 12, excuse me, 1 through 21. Also, I'm not going to read. You can somehow get way down six slides later. Transformation of our relationships. Healing to our marriages. Wholeness in our families and relationships. Jim, go ahead and put on your little song list there. I'm not going to have the band to come up because my sense is is that this morning there's going to be a call to every one of us. I don't think there's a single one of us that is not impacted by the challenges of relationships. I've talked about the problems and opportunities for transformation of our relationships, that we are created for relationships, that we've been created for reciprocal care, the problem of wounding, of rejection, the issue of assault and withdrawal, the need for transformation to begin with us, and the plan for implementation for transformation. I know that I know that I know that all of us here have some challenging relationships. I know that we need personal transformation and change. In previous weeks, I shared that the way we change is not by saying I want to change or by getting enough willpower to change. We change by modifying and changing the influencers of how we feel, our emotions, what we think, our narratives, patterns of our responses and actions, our practices and the social involvements and settings of our lives, our social context. We've touched on some means to see those influencers addressed and changed in our lives, fixing our eyes on Jesus, receiving and living in the love of God for you, embracing the healing and wholeness that he offers, abandoning defensiveness, extending genuine love and service. And I want to acknowledge that this process is not a simple take a pill, rest a little, and you'll be fine. This is a lifelong pursuit, it's a journey. There's going to be gains and losses. There's going to be wins and difficulties. But as I've said before, this is not something you're responsible for dealing with on your own. God's provided His precious Holy Spirit. He lives within inside us, teaching, guiding, empowering us for change. He's provided a community within which we're loved and helped and supported towards change. And finally, God Himself who began this good work in you is committed to seeing it through to the end. To when you'll be whole and complete. I believe with all my heart that God is here today in a very profound and positive way. I believe He wants to initiate and continue in a significant way this good work in you. I was reflecting this morning in my devotional time and I was led to a passage from Matthew 15 in the ministry of Jesus. It says, And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the maimed, the blind, the dumb, and many others. And they put them at his feet and he healed them all.
so that the throng wondered when they saw the dumb speaking, the maimed whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Friends, our God has not changed. The rule and reign of God is here today just like it was then, though we have not yet seen it as well. God is here today to heal, to mend, to deliver. And I don't know what those aspects are in you that you're currently in touch with. Could be places like me that's very easy to go to where I've missed it, where I've been unloving and unkind, where I need change. But some of us may still be wrestling with aspects and issues where we've been hurt. We may be being hindered in that way. Maybe you're here and you just don't fully grasp that God loves you. That Jesus died on the cross for you. For you. Maybe you look at your life and you're unwell in many ways. Maybe you're unwell emotionally. Maybe you're unwell physically. Maybe you, you really are unwell in your relationships. And you think there's no way. This can't change. Yes, it can. I'd just like to see everyone just stay in your chair for a moment. If you would, close your eyes. And put your hands out as if you're going to receive. I'd like you to imagine in your hands now whatever it is that is in your mind right now about your struggles. It could be hurt, it could be sadness, it could be brokenness. Just picture that in your hands. Just, just in your mind, just kind of take it from your mind and just set it there in your hands. And now I'd like you to picture yourself standing before the cross of Jesus. Your hands still cupped holding that thing, that challenge, that pain. I want you to look up into the eyes of Jesus. He's looking down at you. There's tears running down his cheeks. He's weeping. For you. He knows your pain. He is carrying your pain in his body at this very moment. And though you cannot hear the words, you hear him say, Let me take it. Let me take it. It's too much for you. It is not meant for you to bear. But I will bear it for you. I don't know what that would look like for you. I don't know if you want to just hand it to him and place it on his feet. I don't know what works. But I want you to give that to him right now. 
I want you to let it out of your hands, whatever it is, and give it to Jesus. Let Him have it. Feel your hands get free and light and empty of that tyranny that runs your life. Father, I thank You for the gift of life. I thank You that You want to free us, deliver us from the tyrannies of the burdens we carry. Holy Spirit, I welcome You to come and fill each person here. Holy Spirit, we can't go out from this building imagining anything different than what happened yesterday other than that You change us, other than that You free us, and that You empower us for change. And so I welcome You, Holy Spirit. I welcome You, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill Your people. Come and fill us, Lord. Fill us full and to overflowing beyond our capacity to hold you. Overflow from us out into this broken and hurting world that needs good news. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence in our lives. Have your way today. Might we walk a different path. Might we step over some of the obstacles that perhaps before have tripped us up. Might you lead us in transformation and change. That you would be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name. If you would um, like prayer, the service is essentially done. We're going to just conclude it this way. Um, if you would like someone to pray with you at this point, we would love to do that. You can. Uh, we can have some of our folks that are trained to pray for folks. If you just kind of make your way over to the wall of the cross, we're just going to offer that as an opportunity. If any of you would like someone to just pray with you a little more about what maybe God was doing today. I would love for you to be willing to do that. And uh, we're so glad that you're here. If any of you were going to stay for pizza, or not pizza, but food with the leaders or whatever, we're, I think we're, we're we don't know. Anyway, talk to us. Make sure we know. <laughs> Otherwise, you're dismissed. Have a great week. Good um, chiquitos. And 
Thanks for joining us today. Might you be filled and led by the Holy Spirit this week.